Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 3rd, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and eventually we're going to get to most of the notable results from the weekend, like Texas over Kansas, big inside Allen Fieldhouse, Alabama over Tennessee, inside Thompson Bowling, Oklahoma State over Texas Tech, inside United Supermarkets Arena, Missouri over Arkansas inside Bud Walton. You know, home court advantage doesn't seem to matter as much in a pandemic as it normally does. Evidence being that, you're not going to believe this, Nebraska somehow took another loss inside Pinnacle Bank this weekend. That's incredible. But before we get to that stuff, plus the Dante Allen show in Starkville, we have to spend a few minutes on Leaky Black. On this podcast, as you know, we sometimes discuss Leaky Black, and there's no better time than right now to discuss Leaky Black after he scored the game-winning bucket in North Carolina's victory over Notre Dame on Saturday. The pride of Concord, North Carolina, which, by the way, is just 74 miles northeast of Chester, South Carolina, got the ball on the perimeter, 13.6 seconds remaining. Tar Heels down a point. Leaky used the ball screen to get inside the arc, drove confidently, aggressively two dribbles bounce bounce runner banked in for the win final score north carolina 66 notre dame 65 leaky got eight points four rebounds three assists in 31 minutes he snapped unc's two game losing streak his runner will go down as one of the all-time great moments in north carolina basketball history right there with michael jordan's game winner in the 82 title game norlander you like all other Americans mm. will be asked this question for the rest of your life, so you might as well answer it now. Where were you when Leaky Black made Notre Dame suck on a loss like he's the Alabama football team or something? I was in my office not watching the game. so I <laughs> Same, same. I was the exact same. In my office, didn't watch it. Only, only knew it went down because Kyle Boone tagged me and had a video, and Jeff Borzello tagged us and let us know, and about five other Twitter users let us know that Leaky Black did the damn thing. Congrats to Leaky Black. I'm always willing to open a podcast with, with good old Leaky and getting, a, well, in all honesty, kind of an important win for North Carolina so we can kind of dodge the situation uh, that Kentucky's found itself in, and it's 6-4 and four instead of 5-5, five and five and it gets a home win. Um, so good on him. Um, don't know what the hell Mike Bray's doing, by the way. Rocking shorts on January 2nd. North, <laughs> Car- North Carolina's not that warm. Like, hey, you know what? I'll, I guess I'll power to you, but like, I don't even know what that's about. What's he doing? He's wearing shorts. He's coaching a game. I don't – listen, it's a pandemic. We're changing the attire. I get all that. Mike Bray just showing up in the khakis, cut off above the knee, was a step too far for me. He was asking for it from Leakey. My oldest son wears shorts 12 months a year. And when you ask him why, he's very practical about it. He says – I'm not, I'm just going to school. Like it'll be December. It'll like, it re, like, it'll be like two weeks ago and it's 31 degrees and he'll be walking out the door in shorts and a hoodie. And I say, 
Aiden, come on, man. Like it's, it's freezing outside. He says, dad, I'm not going to be outside. I'm going straight to my car, car to the school inside school. Then I'm coming right back home. Like I'm going to be inside. If I were going to be working outside all day, I would put on uh, pants, but like, what, why do I need to wear pants when it's going to be 72 degrees inside the school? And I still think it's dumb, but like he at least argues a decent point. I guess, um, I guess. Uh, Mike Bray rocking the shorts, though. Sartorial uh, twist of the plot that I was not anticipating there on uh, on Saturday. So, hey, Leaky Black gets the win. Carolina gets an important win. And we sometimes talk about Leaky Black, so I'm glad we could check that off the box and at least fulfill our quota for the time being. But there were much, much bigger games that went down over the weekend. And the biggest, of course, was Texas' 25-point victory at Kansas. Most lopsided loss for the Jayhawks inside Allen Fieldhouse in more than 30 years. We're going to get to that next. First, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. So the biggest win of the weekend belonged to the Texas Longhorns. It was a 25-point victory at Kansas, the most lopsided loss for the Jayhawks inside Allen Fieldhouse in more than 30 years. Uh, and let's give Deadleg credit. He said on Friday's podcast that he was taking Texas. I believe, I believe you said straight up. So I'll turn it over to you, Norlander. What did you know on Friday that I – clearly didn't know anything about on Friday. Texas is the more talented team, but we covered that on the podcast too. You told me that. You told me that. I told you this was dominance. Obviously didn't quite see it coming. I, I felt like it was like going to be a 17, 18 point win. I wasn't, I, I'll be, I'll be, listen, I can be honest here. I, I didn't quite see 25 point spread at the end of this. Wow. What a big win. And, um, while you were on CBS Sports Network throughout the day on Saturday, uh, I was on HQ, which hit Patterson, who, uh, who moonlights with us with college hoop stuff, but he does a great job with the Cover 3 podcast and does college football stuff for HQ and .com. And I, this was just... <laughs> it's the biggest win of Shaka Smart's career as a Texas head coach. And of course, it comes like two hours and 15 minutes after they fire Tom Herman. Like, it's just amazing. It, that is considered a top 10 job in the sport, no doubt about it. The Texas, Texas gig on the basketball side. Uh, the football side will let the football speak to that and where it is compared to where it once was or whatever. But uh, the point is that you it's an amazing job because of its location, the league, the facilities, the you know, the access to high level talent, and you just don't face a lot of pressure. Do you face pressure? Sure. But it's frankly, it's like one twentieth of what the the head football coach does. And for Shaka, who entered this season with a, a certain amount of pressure, don't get me wrong, no doubt about it, and he's eliminated so much of that for him to get this win. <laughs> Herman's fired. I just, I, I couldn't believe the timing on all of it. As for the performance, just absolute dominance. Um, 
and to the point where it it made me you know uh, put Texas up on and I know you boost booted them your as well booted them up uh, in your rankings. Uh, Baylor and Gonzaga, I think, just reminded us all this weekend um, that they they should be a tier above Villanova. There, I don't know Texas. Well, you know, it lost at home to Villanova, but I still think Texas has the horses to uh, to beat Baylor potentially. I think it's good enough and. Um, that was just jarring because Kansas City fans in the building. And, yeah, I thought it was a huge message sent. I thought it was one of the two or three biggest results, if not the biggest result of the weekend. So you stumbled into something here that now just got my mind running a little bit. You mentioned that Texas is a, a top-ten job. You were meaning in basketball, right? Yeah, it's specifically in basketball. And that's not just my opinion. That's informed by coaches. About five years ago, we did that as a candid coaches. What is the What are the best jobs in college troops? Texas actually finished fifth. So even if you want to argue it's dipped ever so slightly, like it's still, and we asked more than 100 coaches. So yeah, it's definitely a top 10 job in the sport. Yeah, and Texas football is a top 10 job in the sport. So like if, here's my question. Yeah. If you were a basketball coach at the collegiate level and your brother was a football coach at the collegiate level, and you guys were both the best at what you do and you could but and it was a prior like we want to work at the same university where what university gives us both the best shot to flourish in men's basketball and football is the answer texas i think it might be it's ohio state because ohio state okay i i had ohio state florida and texas those were the top three in my head and those and those should be the basically the the big three, the primary three. There, you could actually make an individual argument, I think, for each of those institutions. But to me, Ohio State, with the way the CFP is is built right now, and by the way, obviously going to play for a national championship next week. Uh, with that, plus, uh, while the Big Ten's loaded, the Big Ten doesn't have Kansas, you know. And Florida has Kentucky, normally speaking. Ohio State just has other good programs, but there isn't like there isn't a flagship basketball, you know, eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, we're gonna win the league. Ohio State doesn't face that the way that Florida does and that Texas does. Uh, back to this uh Kansas, Texas game. Um I, yeah, listen, I, I'm not surprised that Texas beat Kansas in a basketball game where the point spread was three or four or whatever. Like that's there's nothing shocking about that. But to watch Kansas get handled like that, um, and and by the way, this is this isn't a Kansas team that's unproven. Mm-hmm. They've already beaten West Virginia, Texas Tech, Creighton. You know that's that's three top twenty Kinpom wins. You know I only dropped Kansas, I think, from three to five in the top twenty five and one. And there were some people tweeting at me like, uh, "How you lose by twenty five and only drop two spots to number five? Like we talked about this before, but I don't get caught up in how many spots you drop. I, I, I take you and I, I go, okay, where do you belong now? And I couldn't find five teams to put in front of Kansas, given Kansas's resume. Like I'd rather them not have a home loss by twenty five points to Texas, but the other losses to Gonzaga, so they haven't lost to any bad teams, and they've got." Uh, three top 20 Kenpom wins. I don't believe anybody else except Gonzaga can claim three top 20 Kenpom wins right now. So this is a good and proven Kansas team and Texas just ran it off the court in the second half. And when I was riding in the top 25 and one, I, I sort of, you know, use this as an excuse to write about something I'd been thinking about for a while. Uh, but I could have also written it about, you know, Tennessee losing at home or any of the other number of, teams that got upset at home um you know uh, this weekend home court advantage just is a is a big non-factor right now in a way that it, it, it in a way that is noticeable like i don't think it's a coincidence that the worst home loss of bill self's kansas coaching career 
came in a year where they only were allowed to have 2,500 fans inside the Allen Fieldhouse. Like normally you go into that, that place, it's 16,300. You've been there, right? Yes. It's rock chalk chant, which is both awesome and intimidating. It can influence the other team. It can undeniably influence the officials. Like you're down 10 points before you even tip off. If you're the visitor inside Allen Fieldhouse on a normal, you know, Saturday afternoon and you just don't have to deal with that. So think about what happens in a basketball game if this basketball game were going the way that it went on Saturday. Under normal circumstances, Texas gets out to a lead. Let's say they start to pull away. And, you know, now Kansas down 12, Kansas down 14. Well, Kansas is going to make a shot, and that'll be the moment where these knowledgeable basketball fans realize, okay, now it's time to make a run. Let's get on our feet. Let's get into it. Maybe you can rattle the other team. It happens all the time. Well, what happens when you don't have that anymore? You don't have that crowd to inspire your guys or to intimidate the other. And I really do think that I'm not saying Texas won because Kansas didn't have fans. Texas won because Texas was way better. But I do think the lack of crowd makes it easier to go into a place like that and win. I do think the lack of crowds is a major reason why Duke took two home losses early in a way that is very, very uncommon. Maybe we'll find out, and I think this is probably going to be true, that Duke's not as good as Duke normally is and that Kansas is not as good as Kansas normally is. Maybe that is what we'll find out. But it is so much harder to win at those places in normal times. And right now, it, 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 I just noticed it on Saturday in moments where Kansas would have a, fan, a, a, a crowd to lift it up and maybe that crowd to, to rattle Texas just a little bit. It just it wasn't there. So Texas never got rattled. Kansas never made a run. There might be something to that. I'd like to know the data. Um, and this, this is frankly something that Pomeroy could probably uh, research and, and spit back out pretty quickly about uh, what home court. And the NCAA is tracking this as well because it's actually going to inform whether the net rankings which debut technically by the way uh they will debut on monday uh the first net rankings will be public on monday if you're inter- interested in that kind of stuff um, i'll be intrigued to see if we have any weird weird teams pop in the top 20 but anyway um yeah they have to know that by now because they're gonna they're gonna decide whether or not home court advantage needs to be adjusted this season given what, what it is so they have the they have the info but just as a just you know across saturday Teams that lost at home that might have lost at home otherwise, but if they had a full house, would it have gone a little bit differently? Uh, Rutgers dropping against Iowa. Um, Texas Tech losing against Oklahoma State. Uh, Providence losing a close one against Creighton. Tennessee was handled by Bama. I don't want to say necessarily that would have been for sure been the case. Uh, Georgetown shouldn't have lost to Marquette. It did. So, and that's just off the top of my head. Does Arkansas make a run? at Missouri in the second right. half if they've got a full building. Like, that kind of stuff yeah. is what I'm talking about. I, I, I'm i not pretending that home court advantage doesn't matter at all. I'm sure there's some data that suggests the home teams are still winning more than the road teams. All I'm saying is that there are these moments in big-time basketball games where the home team finds itself down, but they've got 15,000, 16,000, 18,000, sometimes even just 9,000 at Duke, and they can get you back into a game either by inspiring you or or rattling the other team. I think that's a real thing. I don't know how to quantify it, but I think it's a real thing. And it's it, but it's not a real thing at all this season and I I think it's I think it's showing up in these results. I guess I'd put it this way. Hmm. I don't think there's any scenario where Kansas loses by 25 or Tennessee loses by a pretty decisive number single digits, but still Alabama was 
Alabama handled them pre, you know, yeah. for it, it, Alabama didn't steal one in the final minutes. They they had that game where Texas Tech gets handled at at home by Oklahoma State, where Arkansas, you know, gets really handled easily by Missouri. I, I just don't think all of those games go the way they went if those buildings are filled the way they normally would be filled for games like that. Um, my last note on this, and then we can take it where you want, but uh, Texas was across the board impressive. So Courtney Raymer had 18, Matt Coleman had 13, Andrew Jones had 14, Kai Jones uh, came off the bench, had 12. Greg Brown only had five, but he even had three or four, like, you know, plays where you kind of perked up there. It was just an across the board um, statement, I guess. You know, there wasn't one predominant, overwhelming performance. They were just kind of, they were, they were good all together, uh, which was, which I thought was notable and all the more so, I guess, an hour before tip. Not that he's a, he was a huge piece, but, you know, Jared Liddell is transferring out of the program. Uh, that happened. They also already lost um, Will Baker, who committed to Nevada a couple of days ago. And so they've lost some good pieces. Like, those are both players that wherever they land, like, I think they're going to wind up being productive players. Just doesn't matter. Like, they're that good. They might they might be a seven, eight-man rotation, um, and that's it. But they, they, they got a lot of talent there, and that's just a huge win for Shaka Smart. Uh, Big-time W. And the next time they get a good win, I didn't have it done in time because of the Bears game. But the, I would have planned on doing yesterday, and I forgot about it literally until right now was when you introduced this game, I was going to have the, come with it now, drop. But I don't have it, so you're just going to have to you're gonna have to deal with me doing a, doing an impression of Zach De La Roca. But the next time, I promise, I'm going to have it loaded in the sound bank, and we'll have it ready to go uh, in reference of optimistic times for the Longhorns. You mentioned Greg Brown, and right now he is averaging 11.7.7.2 7.2 rebounds per game. He is fourth on the team in scoring. He is their leading rebound. So, you know, he's not having a DeAndre Ayton freshman season, but a good freshman season by any standard. I thought this was interesting. You know, Ken Palm has the player of the year race that is, you know, it's a bunch of data. I'm not sure exactly what can, how it works, but I, I do pay attention to it. And if you go to the Big 12 right now, Big 12 conference, all Ken Palm, uh, you know, the, the Big 12 conference, uh, Ken Palm player of the year mm-hmm. race. Jared Butler, number one at Baylor. That probably wouldn't surprise you. Best player on the number two ranked team in the country. Number two is Kate Cunningham. That probably wouldn't surprise you. Number three is Greg Brown. That might surprise you. It surprised me. It does. So again, I don't know what goes into that, but clearly Greg Brown is impacting things in ways that maybe don't show up in points and, and rebounds because, um, you know, he's the fourth leading scorer on his team, but third in the player of the year race in the Big 12, according to Ken Palm right now. So I, I just thought that was... Uh, sort of interesting but again you can't underline it enough just an awesome awesome performance by texas and a big time win and now their next game is tuesday against west virginia at home kansas's next game is tuesday at tcu let's move on to kentucky wildcats snapped a six game losing streak on saturday at Mississippi State. They beat the Bulldogs 78-73 in overtime. And the hero was Dante Allen, who had played a grand total of 19 minutes in Kentucky's first seven games. But with five-star freshman Terrence Clark out, um, Allen finally got some real minutes, and he was awesome. Took 13 shots, made eight of them, finished with 23 points, five rebounds. He was seven of 11 from three. He was the difference in the game, and perhaps – 
he'll be the difference maker in Kentucky's season. I, I, I can't overstate how hilarious it is that Kentucky has been a crappy shooting team all season. And all this time, John Calipari has apparently had a shooter just buried on his bench. Our colleague Kyle Boone called it, quote, coaching malpractice. Norlander, do you agree with Kyle Boone? Is it coaching malpractice that John Calipari had not used Dante Allen through the first seven games of this season? It would appear so because (laughs) if you had asked me on Friday to put a percentage on us talking about Kentucky in a segment, mini segment here on Sunday's podcast, I would have said, I don't know, like 4%. Like uh, maybe they lose by, you know, 30 to Mississippi State. And we, ha- we basically have to talk about how they're done, done. Didn't see this coming. Kentucky fans, by the way, apparently have been clamoring yes. for Dante. I was unaware of the clamoring that was going on, but there was clamoring and there was resistance coming from Cal, who got ejected and, um, he said he wasn't asking for it. He kind of looked like he was hunting. I was watching that in real time. It looked like he was hunting for it, but whatever. Either way, he uh, he gets tossed. Kentucky's down by six at that point. Allen had just started. He had hit like two threes, I think, at that point. And then, really, what 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 clinches this is the fact it's a double. It was it was a brutal game, by the way. This was this was not a good game. I had I got the two TVs in my office, and I always have a third one up on a computer. And the Kentucky game was my third option. It just was it was. But Allen was doing his thing, and I wanted to see like, okay, is is Kentucky going to lose this? And then is is all hope for sure lost? It was the fact that it got to the second overtime, and then Allen hit a couple of more just. Uh, absurd three pointers to to put them to put it Mississippi State away, give Kentucky some separation, and and lift the Wildcats to two and six and create some optimism because you can best believe it, as you should if you're a fan. I, I totally get it. You're talking to a guy whose team just, you know, did a pratfall into the playoffs, got embarrassed again, eight and eight, whatever. I'll take it and I'll run with it. You know what? Going to beat the Saints next week. Can't wait for it. So Kentucky fans, if you're two and six, but you're like, you know what? We're one and oh in the SEC and we're going to go with that. I totally <laughs> hear you. You're going to have to win. 14 league games, I think, something like that. But this is a start. You are 1-0, and you get a road win, and now now you apparently have your star. It's not going to just be him. Is he going to start against Vanderbilt? I would start him if he doesn't. Like, where do we go from there? But it certainly is an intriguing uh, twist of the script here for Kentucky, which which does have some life as a, as a factor with Dante Halland doing this. And um, I want to give credit to, I believe it was Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio, who I guess was on scene there. But uh, just a quick image after everything finished. Apparently, you know, Dante Allen, who couldn't have expected to have the moment he had, was the only one in the arena, like on the floor, kind of just like soaking it in. Like, I just really just did that. Like, you know, I'm a freshman at Kentucky, just went in first league game. And I just, you know, I just dropped seven three-pointers at 23 points and lifted my team to a win. So I'm sure he had an amazing moment to himself. And that was a fun little picture capture that he got. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. Like Kentucky fans, if you want to celebrate being one and zero in the SEC, celebrate it. Like it's sort of a running joke in my little golf group. Like, because uh, we're all not great. Uh, so, like, whatever you shoot on the front nine, then inevitably, you know, in our foursome, somebody will par number ten. And as soon as you sink the par putt on number ten, you say, "I'm even on the back." You just celebrate yeah. being even <laughs> on the back. It sounds good. Yeah, I'm even on the back. So it, one and zero in the SEC is is the equivalent of even on the back. So uh, you take it for some history on Dante Allen for those unfamiliar. And it is it has been a thing. I follow enough Kentucky people to know that it has actually been a thing in Kentucky. Like, why is Dante Allen not playing? I want to say that I I heard 
I could be making this up. It might have been John Calipari was asked about it on a Zoom call. But my recollection is that there's the John Calipari call-in show and that John, like people, like callers were calling in and asking, why won't you play Dante Allen? Which coaches call-in shows are just the funniest to me. Like that, that should not be a thing, I don't think, in 2020. Well, we know I, why it is a thing, right? Money. A hundred percent. These coaches, these call-in shows, they're amazing. They're even more off the rocker in football, like times 10. But they add, depending on the coach, depending on the spot, you're adding hundreds of thousands of dollars to your annual salary by doing them. So they're they're just, if I was a coach, I I don't know if the money would be worth it. But to these guys, it clearly is. And yes, they occasionally, two or three times a year, they will actually provide something of like genuine hilarity. Yes, but yes, they are big paydays I, for these coaches. No, I did it. I, I, I was talking about it one time on radio, and I was like, you know, these, some of these football coaches make four, five, six, seven million dollars a year. Like, if you told me, okay, you're making seven million dollars a year, and you get an extra two fifty for the call-in show, I'd be, you know what, keep the two fifty. I don't need to do that because it just, it could just get uncomfortable. My favorite memory of a call-in show, real quick. Back when Phil Fulmer was like in his final year at Tennessee, and of course he was alleged played there and like uh, yeah, won a national championship there, but it had undeniably took a bad turn. So it's the Phil Fulmer show on like a Monday night, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's like a memory from a long time ago. And anybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm not great with this kind of stuff, but I, the, the gist of the story is true. So this, they go, uh, all right, now let's go to Bill in Johnson City, and it's like, uh, hey Bill, you're on with Coach Fulmer. Feels like Coach Fulmer, um, and and Phil Fulmer's like, hey Bill, because you always have to act like they're your friend. <laughs> they call, hey Bill from Johnson City, and uh, Bill goes, uh, Coach Fulmer, I I I've been loving this university my whole life. Uh, I've been bleeding orange since I was born, and I, Coach Fulmer, I know you love the University of Tennessee just as much as I love the University of Tennessee, don't you? And Phil Fulmer said, Well, of course, Bill. I you know I, I graduated from this school. This is you know, I, I love the University of Tennessee. So I know, I know you do, Coach. And I guess I would just ask you, if you love the University of Tennessee, why don't you quit so we can get us a real football coach? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I like, uh, it's just too, it's just what too a much. setup. What a setup. So anyway, I, 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 can, I can confirm in some way, or version that John Calipari had been getting asked about Dante Allen over and over again, had even like suggested one time he's going to get his chance in this game and then didn't play him. And so then he had to answer, why didn't you play him? And so it had been a thing. And then again, Terrence Clark is out. So you, you, you bring in Dante Allen, who again, background in-state product, six, six wing. He was ranked 111th in the class of 2019, according to 24 seven sports composite rankings. He took a red shirt last season while he was recovering from a knee injury that he suffered in high school, started practicing with the team in January and had barely played this season. And then it's like, I, I usually side with the coaches on this because I my go-to is always, listen, the coaches are the ones in practice with these guys every day. Like, they they, they should have a better grasp than Bill and Johnson City, uh, you know, who should be playing and who shouldn't be playing. I, you know, I, it doesn't mean coaches never make mistakes, but 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 they should have a – I'm assuming John Calipari wants to win games. And if he thought Dante Allen could help him, he'd be on the court. That's my go-to. But sometimes coaches are wrong. And the, and the fans have been insisting, you've got to play this guy. And then you play him, and he does exactly, in fact, more than what the fans promised he would do, which is make shots. I mean, the guy's reputation is as a shooter. Kentucky has been shooting below 30% from three all season long. 
and they got a shooter on the bench. They don't play him, and then they play him, and they win a game strictly because of him. It'd be like <laughs> it'd be like you're watching this guy for whatever reason. Just play along. You're watching this guy build something, and he gets to a point he just cannot build whatever he's trying to build. He can't build it correctly. Just it won't. It's not working. And he's like, and, and you're you're looking at him, and you're going, you know, it looks like you need a Phillips head screwdriver. And he's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Hand me the hammer. And you give him a hammer. And he's trying to get this done with the hammer, and it just won't work. It just can't work. And you're like, you know, it really looks like all the data shows that you could really use a Phillips head screwdriver. And he's like, I don't let me let me see that flathead. And he tries a flathead and just nothing. You cannot get this build thing built. And he's doing this for five straight weeks. Five straight weeks. He's trying to build this thing and he can't build it. And then finally, you 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 reach in there and you're like, you've got a Phillips head screwdriver in, in your box, right sitting right here. And you hand it to him and he uses it and the thing's built perfectly. And you're like, dude, for five weeks, you, you, you had what you needed in your toolbox and you never reached for it. What, what were we doing for the past five weeks? And I can certainly understand why Kentucky fans are frustrated. Like, why did it take John Calipari five weeks? It was so clear he needed a shooter. He had a shooter in his toolbox. Why not reach for it? Why did it take this situation for you to reach for your Phillips head screwdriver? I don't understand it. Coming into the game... Allen had not played in three of Kentucky's games and never logged more than eight minutes. He played eight minutes against Kansas, one minute against Carolina, didn't play against Louisville, didn't play against Notre Dame, four minutes against Georgia Tech. Now he does this. Kentucky's in a good spot. Tuesday is scheduled to host Vanderbilt, um, which is the worst team in the SEC. And Dante Allen should be in the starting lineup. And, uh, you know, he's to expect him to be that good again is, is to ask too much. But... Um, you know, try some stuff. Experiment. You should have. You should have the bandwidth to uh, to work on different things because then uh, six days from now, next weekend is the scheduled game against Florida at Florida, and that's a that's a much bigger test. Yeah. Um. You know, in, in fairness to John and any other coach who's ever been through something like this, because even John after the game said, "You know what? Now you can say Cal screwed it up, and maybe I did." You know, he's like he 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 leaned into it a little bit. I think it's pretty clear to him at this point that he, if you could ask him, he would tell you, I should have done this, you know, earlier. Why he didn't, you know, he can tell you. But, you know, Bill Belichick didn't think Tom Brady was Tom Brady until Drew Brees got hurt. Um, Steve Kerr didn't think Draymond Green was Draymond Green until David Lee got hurt. I mean, I think coaches more often than not are playing the right people. But I just named you a future Hall of Fame football coach and a future Hall of Fame basketball coach who, have similar examples. Like it took Drew Brees getting hurt for Bill Belichick to turn to Tom Brady. It took David Lee getting hurt for Steve Kerr to turn to Draymond Green. And those things changed the trajectory of those franchises in major ways they created uh, championships. And so, no, I'm not pretending or suggesting that uh, John Calipari finally turning to Dante Allen is going to be the thing that propels Kentucky to a championship. I still don't think Kentucky is going to make the NCAA tournament, but still it was you know, a, a totally off the radar game on Saturday, except for Kentucky fans and Mississippi State fans that turned into 
one of the bigger stories of Saturday just because it was a lot of fun to watch. The game was yuck. Like either team should have won it 50,000 times in regulation or the first overtime, but that individual performance for an in-state kid who probably dreamed of that his entire life, it, it was awesome to see. And I do think you're exactly right. He's got to be in the starting lineup now because here's the thing. If you watched him, he makes – Brandon Boston better. He makes Devin Askew better. Like, you, they, you know, Mississippi State had to start chasing him around the court. That creates more space for everybody else. And so John and his staff are obviously smart enough to understand that now, even if they might have had a blind spot for it for whatever reason heading in. But I, I, I feel comfortable suggesting this. Dante Allen's going to be a big part of Kentucky's rotation going forward, even if he barely played uh, up until Saturday. Um, like I mentioned, it's been a, a busy, busy weekend. I think what we've already touched on were the biggest stories, but there were other notable results. Top-ranked Gonzaga improved to 10-0 with a 23-point win over San Francisco. Baylor moved to 9-0 with a double-digit win at Iowa State. Alabama upset Tennessee on the road. Oklahoma State upset Texas Tech on the road. Missouri upset Arkansas on the road. Oklahoma upset West Virginia at home. Iowa beat Rutgers on the road. Colorado State came from 26 points down to beat San Diego State on the road. Minnesota blasted Ohio State. Norlander, you care about any of that stuff? Yeah, I'll do a little whip around here um, for sure. I thought... I thought Oklahoma State winning, like Kate Cunningham got fouled with like 27 seconds to go, shooting a three, and he hit all three. Uh, in fact, you mentioned on CBS Sports Network when, I don't, I don't know if this was at a halftime. I couldn't keep up of when you were on for a halftime or a postgame or whatever. We, we but, were on a lot. All, yeah, all, all a lot. That. But you did mention like, you know, it, it would have been tougher if there were, were you know, 17,000 screaming fans in the building. But it's still tough to hit three uh, in that spot. And you're right. And he did hit all three, and they wound up going to OT. And then he fouled out. Uh, Oklahoma State just getting the win the way it did on the road, adding to its resume and just a reminder, you know, Oklahoma State was given the postseason ban for 2021. It's still appealing. Now, that appeal may finish before we get to Selection Sunday, but if it doesn't, I think Oklahoma State's going to have a resume good enough to get into the NCAA tournament, and I think that everyone except Iowa State, TCU, and who am I forgetting? Iowa State, TCU. Who's the other bad team in the Big 12 that I'm not remembering? Kansas State. Kansas State. There we go. Those three won't get in. I think the other seven will, provided that Oklahoma State's appeal isn't done. Um, West Virginia would have loved to have had Oscar Sheboy. In fact, I think if he was there and even 75% of what he's been producing, I think that would have been enough to get over the hump. But a good win for Oklahoma and a good result for the Big 12. So that was one of my one of my bigger takeaways there. Um, just a quick note on Iowa winning at Rutgers. The past three times those teams have played, the game has ended within one possession. That was I thought that was a good win for Iowa. Just real quick, tell me if you agree or not. Um, I thought it was a good win for Iowa to keep its bona fides as, you know, Big Ten championship contender, Final Four contender. To me, Rutgers is a top 15 team, and Iowa going in and getting that win, that's just the kind of win that I think not just improves their resume, but I think it just it hardens their reputation a bit, GP, because I could easily see a lot of people kind of fading Iowa if hadn't won that, but I thought that was a good one. It was a great win. I mean, listen, the rack in the middle of a pandemic is not the same as the rack last season, but Rutgers was 24-1 and in its past 25 games at home heading into Saturday's game with Iowa. That is not a – you know, Steve Pico has, has built a good program that plays well everywhere, but especially at home. So to go there and win – 
very impressive. And to do it, getting another nice shooting performance from Jordan Bohannon is notable. I honestly can't remember whether we talked about this on the podcast or if I talked about it on Sports HQ or Sports Network or somewhere else. But, you know, Jordan Bohannon was shooting under 30% from three-point range this time last week on the season. And Fran McCaffrey set him down before the Northwestern game and said, listen, we need you to keep shooting. Like, you got to get your swagger back. You you know, for us to be what we want to be, it involves you being important. And so us deciding you're not important is not good for us. You haven't been making shots, but you will. So keep shooting them. I'm obviously paraphrasing here. Bohannon goes out, goes six for nine from three midweek, and then goes three of five at Rutgers. So he's nine of 14 from three in the past two games. Obviously, Luca Garza is the star. He got 25 points on 11 shots at Rutgers, but Iowa was good even when Bohannon wasn't making shots. Uh, if he's going to be a consistent shot maker now, it, it does make that offense even better. And that offense right now is ranked number one in offensive efficiency. couple more uh, that I want to bring up here. First of all, <laughs> Michigan is rolling Northwestern. I mean, good gracious. Um, there was a debate whether we should wait on this. Parrish was right. <laughs> it was more than a debate. Parrish was so right. So Rutgers, by the way, ever Rutgers. Northwestern's going to lose its second. Now it's got to play Illinois. So that's not that's not a takeaway. The two that are wrapping up as we're podcasting. Houston's going to beat SMU, and it lost Caleb Mills, who, who stepped away for personal reasons. We don't know when he'll return. That's actually a really, really good win for Houston. So I just want to give it credit. SMU is going to take its first loss of the season. And GP and I talked about this on Friday. We agree it's actually better for the American if Houston wins this game. So that's a good thing for the league. A bad result for a league uh, of similar strength was, you didn't bring this up, but I, I do want to mention it. Richmond lost at home to St. Bonaventure. It can't afford another bad loss. It's now lost at home to Hofstra and, and, and Bonna. And so this was a team after it beat Kentucky and started out 4-0. It was like, look out, Spiders, they're going the wrong direction there. And the A-10 is, was looking like it might put itself in a spot to, to be able to get three wins comfortably into the tournament. Uh, that's, that's just more of a question now. But the three results I wanted to hit you up with. One, where do you have Clemson right now? I have them 25, and I can acknowledge that might be low, but I, I do have them in the top 25 and one. They moved in there on Sunday morning. They have beaten Mississippi State, Purdue, Maryland, Bama, Florida State, and then they got a, a close shave win against Miami on the road Saturday. But it was a win nonetheless. Eight and one, still the second best defense in college basketball. My power rankings will refresh Tuesday before Clemson's uh, game against NC State. Uh, given that they've played so well, their only loss on the road against Virginia Tech. I'm gonna, I'll scoot them up. I'll have them yeah, somewhere it- like. 12 or 13 but again we do you you're more resume built bracketology like leaning that way i'm more just like have you been hot whatever it's there's very different things but i couldn't help but notice and no one's talking about them but they're eight and one this is brad brownell's best team he's had yeah my the my approach to ranking teams um i don't want to say has a blind spot because if if it were an actual blind spot i would try to fix it i just say the teams that can sort of get lost a little bit when as it pertains to my approach are teams exactly like clemson they start the season off the radar and then they they win a bunch of good games but let's be honest no great ones they don't have any wins over top 30 kimpom teams right now so they've got a bunch of good wins mississippi state purdue maryland alabama florida state miami like a bunch of top 100 wins, but zero top 30. And then they've got a loss to 
in my rankings, an unranked team, Virginia Tech. So what do I do with that team? Honestly, I moved them into to 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 twenty fifth on Sunday morning just because they had done enough good stuff that they belonged, and there weren't other great options. But you know, they still don't have a big signature win, and so when you start off the radar and you don't have a big signature win, it becomes difficult for you to get the attention that, that Norlander is now bringing up. Amir Sims is a dark horse to win ACC player of the year. He's at 13 points, 5.7 boards, uh, 2.2 dimes and a 1.3 steals per game. He's going to have to beef that up a little bit more and Clemson's going to have to keep winning, but um, he made our top 101 with some ease, but I was ready to campaign for him in the preseason, and he has continued to be awesome. He really is one of the best players in the ACC. Uh, second result I want to talk to you about was what you mentioned earlier. Um, I made this declaration in my takeaways piece uh, late, late Saturday night on CBSSports.com. Missouri's going to head back to the NCAA tournament. I'm convinced at this point. It's going to take more losses, obviously. The league is, is good, not great. The Tennessee loss, I don't even I don't even want to concern us with that. I don't want to overreact to that. Tennessee shouldn't have lost. It did, but I'm still thinking Tennessee is the best team in the league. Uh, even though right now Florida and Bama and Kentucky are the only undefeated teams in the SEC. Missouri is 1-1 one one in the league, but 7-1 and one overall. And it went in and put up, as I said after the game on the postgame show on CBS Sports HQ, uh, put up an extremely good defensive performance, one of the best I'd seen uh, all week. And really, I thought by the end of Saturday, that might have been the best defensive collective performance by a team I saw all day on Saturday. Only loss was an embarrassing one. At home, by 20 to Tennessee. Can't get rid of that. But... It's defeated Oregon on a neutral, has the win over Illinois, which seems to be aging well, has a win over Wichita State. The Shockers got to get, I think, one more win before we can really start talking about if there's something there or not. But they won on the road at Wichita State, which has started off relatively well. Three road wins for the Shockers. And now they get the win at Arkansas. Mizzou is a top 15 team. Jeremiah Tillman might have had his best game he's had in a Tigers uniform. Between him and Pinson, I thought they did wonderfully well. And they obviously outperformed my expectations and Parrish's. We thought Arkansas was going to win that game. Uh, but it didn't. So your thoughts on the Tigers and, and Martin, what he's been able to do, uh, delivering a 7-1 team that is more respected in the rankings right now than it is in the metrics because uh, the predictive nature of this stuff and some of the preseason influence. Missouri's still just 41 uh, at Ken Palm as we speak, and that's I know Tigers fans probably get a little bit frustrated with all that, and I understand that, but uh, it's not just it's not just Ken Palm at this point. Missouri is ranked. They were lower, I thought, in Torvik when I looked. They're, no, they're, they're, tw- yeah, they're low. They're a low everywhere. Yes, but they've, they've bumped actually in the past week or so. They're, they're on the cusp of the top 25 there. So, they're still lower, but your thoughts on uh, the Tigers, what they did and, and the state of where they're at and where you have them ranked? In terms of teams that took midweek losses and then bounced back strong over the weekend, I don't think anybody did it better than Missouri. They didn't just lose to Tennessee on Wednesday. They got, I mean, it was humiliating. They couldn't do anything. And then you bounce back and you beat a good Arkansas team on the road. This is one, talked about it earlier. I wonder what happens if you got a capacity-filled Bud Walton Arena. Because Arkansas never never made that run like they never got into it but maybe you know maybe that's a testament to missouri and a credit to missouri more than it is anything else couldn't help but notice this was the first game without justin smith we didn't know when we talked on friday how long justin smith would be out though we did note that he spent the second half of arkansas's win um over auburn in a boot we found out on Saturday morning he had ankle surgery on friday he's going to be outside out three to six weeks that's the transfer from Indiana, he was fourth on Arkansas in points per game. 
second leading rebounder, fourth in minutes played. This is an important player, and they're now 0-1 without him, which, again, I think Missouri probably wins that game no matter what, but not having Justin Smith, is um, that's a big deal. Before I get to the last game, I'll tie in a couple quick uh, quick things here. Um, first of all, UCLA, just a note here, UCLA don't, won't have Chris Smith the rest of the season. That's a big blow. He actually almost went to the draft. I think he was really one of the three or four on the fence, which way I'm going to go, decided way late and decided to come back, and now he's done with a torn left ACL. That actually, I think, impacts, uh, as great of a coach McCronin is, I do think that impacts UCLA's chances of winning the Pac-12, so I thought that was significant. It did um, manage to do well for itself uh, over the weekend and get a W, but that's brutal. Um, and then in the Mountain uh, in the mountain West, Colorado State um, got a great, great, great win. Now, I talked with Nico Medved on Saturday night. This was just kind of cool. So I just I wanted to catch up and be like, hey, man, what was it like just to, to 26 points come from behind? The game was on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, the Network, Network of Stars. Stars. That's right. And, um, and, you know, they were down 36-10 in the first half, and then they actually cut it to like, I think they, for, for one possession, they cut it to five in the first half, but it was a seven-point gap at halftime. And then they were just kind of like, they were trailing and chasing and trailing and chasing. They finally, they got it done and won the game in the closing seconds there. And uh, he said, well, first of all, I went at halftime and told the team we're going to win the game, which, you know, if you're a coach, that's what you say, I guess. But um, but still, like, you know, he said that they went out and they pulled it off, and, that, and that's great, and they're, they're undersized. This is a team that's replacing the greatest re- rebounder in Mountain West history, statistically, Nico Carvacho. So they're much smaller this year. But John Tonjay, sophomore wing. This is wild. So he hits a big layup to cut the gap, and then he gets fouled. The play, GP. What did that? What did Tonjay's play remind you of? That gave that uh, that gave Colorado State the win. Did that? Did it bring to mind anything else? Did it bring to mind anything else? And I watched the replay four, five times doing inside college basketball last night on CBS Sports Network till like midnight yeah i nothing pops to mind everyone listening right now the podcast when you if you saw the play and i and i say this to you i'll give you three seconds to think about it what other play in recent history would that have brought to mind for me it played out very similarly under much less urgent circumstances as kyle guys fouled three-pointer against auburn in the final four same spot on the floor similar contact bullshit you know it was it, it was um it was pretty interesting. So anyway, he hits the shot. How about this, though? He wasn't even with the team until like 12 hours before because the game was scheduled late. So Colorado State's going to play San Diego State again on Monday because that's the way that this is all going. But this series and that game on Saturday night got scheduled late uh, last week. And so like CSU wasn't planning to be in California on uh, for traveling for New Year's Day or any of that, but the schedule was what it was, so they made it happen. But... Tanjay, his father for months and months had been planning to get married or remarried on New Year's Day in Denver. And so Medved told me, he went to him and said, listen, man, you got to be there for it. Like, this is something you need to go to. So don't worry about the team. Don't worry about us. We want you to be there. So you just go ahead. You go. You do that. So he went to his father's wedding, stayed, you know, into the night, took like an 11 o'clock flight out of Denver. Flew to San Diego commercially, got there, got with the team, 
uh, got tested and was good to go, and then he winds up hitting the shot. I just that's an un- I mean, think about that. That's a hell of a twenty four hours, man. Like you get to go to be at your dad's wedding, and then you're the hero in the greatest comeback in the history of your conference in the history of your school. First win over a ranked team in almost a decade. Now your team's six and one. Shouts to John Tanjay. That's I think that's one of the better stories of the weekend. Brings up an interesting question: Do you have to be at your dad's second wedding? Yeah, I, I think you do. Well, it depends on the relationship, but yes, I mean, I think you, I, I think you do. I say this as someone who um, had uh, his mother-in-law have a second wedding in a what fourteen-person outdoor in our backyard wedding ceremony in September this past September because. They met, they fell in love. These people, God bless them. They're like, we're not waiting until 2021. We want to be married this year. And so my wife had to be like, we're not going indoors. We're not doing this. So if you're going to get, if you insist on doing this, then you're going to do it in our backyard and, you know, only uh, immediate families coming. They're like, all right, then we'll do it. So um, that's my frame of reference on this is that uh, (laughs) my wife was not missing it under those circumstances. And and I think if you've got a pretty good relationship with the parent, yeah, you got you got to be there for the second wedding. You weren't there for the first in most cases, right. so you know. I I think I was at my dad's second wedding. I, I mean, I, you think I, what I is think this? I, I think that's a significant event. You should remember if you were there or not definitively. I can't I can't do that. I can I think I think I have a recollec- recollection of it, but what? I don't. Okay, what year I are we talking it, here? Like, are we talking I, like two thousand seven? Like, how long ago no, was this? Oh, it would have been, I was in high, it would have been me in high school, I think. So like mid nineties, early nineties. Yeah, you got to remember that. I think I was there. If I had to bet one way or another, I would bet that I was there, but it, you should understand I'm terrible at betting on things. So I always pick the wrong thing. So who, who knows at this point? Oh, by the way, my Aztecs, they were uh, 14 of 30 from the free throw line. You know, coaches said all the time, you miss some free throws, it'll cost you. It cost my Aztecs. Still undefeated, of course, but now they're two-loss undefeated uh, team. One thing I wanted to note, Gonzaga yeah. improved to 10-0. and They have nine double-digit wins, and they scored 85 points. They have scored 85 points in their first 10 games. Did you see the stat or note or fact connected to this uh, that was bouncing around on Twitter Saturday night? No, go ahead. Okay, trivia time then. Gonzaga just became the first college basketball team since what college basketball team to score at least 85 points in each of its first 10 games of a season? Open a season, just scoring 85, don't need to win them all? Don't need to win them all, just did you score 85, at least 85 points, but, but I believe that team did win all of its games. And I'll even this make century, it. Uh, this, how about this? So past 15 I'll, seasons? I'll narrow it for you. It, it, it was a team that did this best I can remember around the time my father was getting married for the second time. Okay. So you think this, okay. So it was in the nineties. Yes. Uh, then that's 95, 96 Kentucky. That comes to mind first. It, it was not, it was 1993, 94 Arkansas. The snout. From the, the snout, snout. Which, 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 oh, by the way, I heard from an Arkansas uh, listener. Um, oh, by the way, and that Arkansas team, of course, won the national championship. So that's that's the thing that ties it all together. Arkansas scored at least 85 in its first 10 games. Go on, they went on to win a national championship. King Gonzaga do the same. Um, uh, we were talking about UNLV, Arkansas, early 90s, and I knew all this stuff because I grew up around it. But that game was in Barnhill Arena, not in Bud Walton Arena. 
But at some point, and you can look this up, Arkansas went from a slobber hog to a more traditional hog. Yeah, I'm not cool with that, by the way. Me neither. I'm team slobber hog. Definitely I would prefer... team slobber. The, the, current, the, the current one's fine. It looks like it's got an edge to it. It looks like it's... Uh... Frankly, it looks like it's got a couple scores to settle, and that's what you want in a logo. But I'm I'm all about Slobberhog, no doubt about it. Yeah. And I'm I am for this is this is a this is a difficult thing for me because I'm I'm generally for large mascots on a court like the gigantic Jayhawk at Allen Fieldhouse or the gigantic Dunking Cardinal at the Yum Center. But I like a smaller Razorback because I like to be able to say Alex Dillard or Moses Moody pulled from the snout. Once upon a time, that meant something, pulling from the snout, because you had a smaller hog. But now you got a big hog, and pulling from the snout is like pulling from a foot off of the three-point line. Doesn't mean the same thing anymore. I, w- I grew up in a time where pulling from the snout meant something. And it is a shame that my kids are growing up in a time where pulling from the snout doesn't mean anything anymore. I don't want my kids to to not be able to appreciate when a man pulls from a snout. A lot of big hog talk on this podcast. By the way, um, two two things. First of all, uh, in light of just, uh, I forgot to mention this, in light of Colorado State doing what it did, I had three people ask me if San Diego State was still undefeated. No, you blow that, it's done. The ruse oh, is up, that's oh. a loss. Aztecs, you take the L, big L. In regard to your snout stuff, it was, it, it was just in my mind so much that uh, John Fanta, he tweeted that like Mitch Ballack shot one from the fryer. So I went when it, when it happened, um, I think he accompanied it with a video and I was like, is it the snout of the fryer? No, it was the back end. It was like the back end of the Cape because Creighton played Providence. I was like, that's now I need a shot. I need a shot from the front of the beak from the fryer snout there. So yeah, this is now at the forefront of my mind when we're, when we're talking about deep shots and snouts and noses. Yeah. Not good. Hey, uh, I want to thank the listeners once again for filling up Apple Podcasts with one awesome review after another. You guys are, are doing a tremendous job with that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And as a, uh, a show of appreciation, we said we would wrap Sunday's podcast by picking out, you know, two or three or four each week uh, to, to sort of highlight and, and just show you, again, just thank you because uh, we got overrun with some uh, – silly stuff uh, but you guys are making up for it and uh, posting one five-star review with great comments after another so norlander i I picked out a few they're all great i want to make sure everybody knows if you posted a review on apple Podcasts, i read it Mm. i read it and i truly appreciate it but we cannot go through all of them on the podcast so i just picked out a few so uh, i I got one here from elliot styles that's the uh that's the person who left this one here's here's what here's what elliot wrote elliot wrote I didn't really care about college basketball and I don't really watch any college basketball games and that hasn't changed, but I love listening to every single one of these podcasts. I come for the spirited discussions about apostrophes and camels. I take that as a big time compliment. Let me tell you why. That's the GP. You say why, but I'm telling you, this is the highest compliment possible. If you don't even watch the sport and you listen to the podcast, <laughs> there's, I think we've hit the best review ever, but go ahead. No, that, I mean, that, that's exactly right. I remember when I first started radio and, you know, you, you got a, gen, a station manager trying to explain to you ratings and how they work. 
And one of my bosses sat down with me and he said, okay, now like we're a basketball college football city. So you, you're going to be, you're going to be good in August, September, October, November, December, boom, you know, but then like June, July, it's going to get really slow because you don't have basketball because you don't have football. Baseball doesn't really resonate here. And so don't be discouraged when the ratings drop in June and July. Cause you know, that's just, that's just normal. And I was like, well, why does that have to be normal? Like why, why, if I do this right, if I do this right, I should have people wanting to listen to me no matter what I'm talking about. Like if they're, if they if they quote listeners of the Gary Paris show, they should want to listen to me and I should be talented enough, good enough and prepared enough to keep them. Even when I'm talking about something they don't think they care about, I can make them interested in things they don't think they care about. And I'm only telling a story here. I'm not trying to turn this into anything other than it is, but like <laughs> 11 years into it, my ratings do not dip in the summer at all. Like they, 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 I don't lose people when football's over. I don't lose people when basketball's over because I feel like if you're there for that show, I, I can keep you no matter what. So when I read this one from Elliot, it really made me smile because that is what that's what we're doing here. He doesn't care about college basketball, but he's still listening to a college basketball podcast. This, this Which, by the way, I don't I don't know that I would do. I don't listen to a single podcast about something I don't care about. No shot. No shot. No this shot. guy doesn't have it. Every single trivia time, he's like, I'm out. No, not playing along at home. Not a chance. Uh, so thank you, Elliot. I, I cannot. I, I, there is no better compliment somebody could give me than I don't really care about what you're talking about, but I still listen to you. That's as good as it gets. Um, the next one comes from Elliot McKenzie. Back to back Elliot's. Um, here's what Elliot McKenzie wrote. These guys really know their stuff and are super consistent with content. I like everything about the show. However... I saw Matt Norlander at a grocery store in Los Angeles a few months ago. I told him how cool it was to meet him in person, but I didn't want to be a douche and bother him and ask him for photos or anything. And then he said, oh, like you're doing now? I was taken aback, and all I could say was, huh? But he kept cutting me off and going, huh, 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 and closing his hand shut in front of my face. I walked away and continued with my shopping, and I heard him chuckle as I walked off. Still a good podcast, though. What the hell is this? That's that's what, I, I try. I keep up with the, with the reviews. I'm checking in, but I'm not like, uh, you know, I, I'm scanning. So I haven't seen this. You're telling me this is an actual review. Yes. I was in Los Angeles. Yes. A few months ago. Yes. In the middle of the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes. Yes. Incorrect. <laughs> I need, I need Elliot. So Elliot, what was the last name? Elliot McKenzie. Elliot McKenzie. I'm going to have to ask you to dip on back into the review section of Apple Podcasts. Apologize. This is disrespectful. And clarify. Because someone in LA is apparently pretending to be me. <laughs> If you accost me in a grocery store, I'm going to say hello. Yeah, I, Probably I'm going to say hello. This That actually has to happen. A couple of people have come up you know, at games and stuff, say we love the podcast, and I always appreciate that. Uh, this did not happen, though. This is a fabrication. So Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether Elliot McKenzie is just goofing around or not. I also didn't care. I just thought it was funny that there was a review about meeting you in a grocery store in L.A. If so people want to drop would... mushrooms and leave reviews, I'm not going to post that either. That's fine. Uh, okay, this one comes from uh, somebody uh, that uh, described themselves as Bracketologist 3. That's the name, Bracketologist 3. I'm not in charge of the names. Uh, said Parrish and Orlander are great at podcasting and work well with each other, but I feel Cal Boone doesn't get enough appearances. Boone is great on HQ, and I think he could 
be a good change of pace guest star on an occasional show. What do you think about that? Somebody trying to shoehorn Kyle Boone back on the pod. I'm for this. I feel like a little Kyle Boone every now and then goes a long way. He has filled in for me when I have been on my vacation weeks in the past. And I'm not anti a little bit more Kyle Boone. A little dash of it here and there. I Listen, we already have Sam on the podcast. I think we can fit in. Sam, you there? I Sam. think we can fit in uh, a little Kyle Boone here and there. I did see that review, and I was like, you know what? That's that's a good point there. So yeah, uh, um, like I love Kyle, and when he was with me, um, I thought he was terrific, and he's obviously a tremendous asset to CBS Sports dot uh, com and CBS Sports HQ. Like, you know, when something happens randomly, um, you can almost just assume that Kyle Boone's going to be ready to handle it if he needs to. He's tremendous, and uh, love having him work with us. Sort of the the uh, recipe, if you will, that we developed for this podcast. Like, I, I, for new listeners, you have no idea what this podcast has been through since its origination. Like, we've had different people, and there was a time when I would bring on guests, and uh, you know, it was all. It's, we did it a bunch of different ways, but the thing that we found that worked was having two people, the same people every time, talking about college basketball to each other, with each other, and no guest. You know, and I don't, I don't speak uh, negatively of how anybody else chooses to do a college, do whatever. Everybody can do it. There's enough space for everybody. What worked for us is me and Norlander here three times a week during the season, just talking about what we determined are the biggest stories or the most interesting stories in the sport, plus camel fighting and leaky black. And the numbers reflect that that is what works. And so we've sort of kept you know, that same dynamic, uh, unless one of us is, you know, out of, uh, out of touch or on vacation or in a television studio or whatever. So if we don't have Kyle on often, it's not because we boycotted Kyle. It's just that th- this is the, the thing that we've got that um, we've decided to stick to, but Kyle will be back on here. Cause I, you know, there's gonna be times where I can't be here and there's gonna be times where Norlander can't be here and rest assured. The number one go-to is is definitely Kyle Brook. Yeah, well, Kyle Porter as well, but he's got the first Kyle cut Porter. with Kyle Porter on CBS Sports Podcast there. So you got one more, right? Yeah, I got one more. And this one came from USC Lady Gamecocks fan. It was left on New York New Year's Eve. A little long, so just bear with it. Strap it. Oh, yeah, strap oh, it. I, oh, oh, I should say yes. to Elliot McKenzie and Elliot Styles and Bracketologist 3 and anybody else that leaves the podcast, I do go through and, and uh, edit them only for time. Only because I, uh, even though I don't edit myself for time, I, I do edit everybody else. So um, here's more or less what USC Lady Gamecock fan wrote. This is the best cut. Best. This is this is the this is the best podcast I'll ever find. The conversation is fun and intelligent. The stories are interesting, and they'll keep you upbeat and engaged for the entire time you're listening. They cover every team fairly and cover them with due enthusiasm when they're doing well. It's great listening to two friends having a conversation about the best parts of the best sport. As a PhD student doing biomedical engineering cancer research, I didn't have a lot of time to watch basketball outside of Castle Coliseum, but it felt like I did after listening to GP and Norlander. Five stars despite the podcast semi-official endorsement of premarital sex, which I'm opposed to on a moral and personal basis. That's fine. That's fine. Vehemently opposed to... The review says vehemently opposed to on a moral and personal basis. Keep going. 
yeah, Lady Gamecocks fan does know that it sounds like GP may slowly be coming around to this based on what we talked about uh, on one podcast last week. I'm not. I'm still. I'm still pro premarital sex, but like, um, I, 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 but I, I, res- I respect everybody's thoughts on this. Kinda. This is where the uh, review takes a takes a turn. My grandfather, whom I love and adore and look up to and take after, had a stroke this morning. I was rooming with him last night while extra family is in my bedroom for the holidays, and I found him on the bathroom floor this morning. So it's been a long and stressful past eight hours. But when I got word that his operation was over and I could finally relax for a bit, where else did I turn but to the Ion College Basketball Podcast? The podcast makes me feel better when I'm down and great when I'm really good. Thanks, Parrish and Norlander. Shouts to Devin Downey and go Cox. P.S. It sounds like my grandfather is going to be okay after some rehab. So first, shouts to Grandpa. That's a scary thing, you know, and um, for, yeah. for Grandpa, but also for, uh, you know, the, the grandson or granddaughter who, who finds that, that person lying in a bathroom. My God. So I'm glad to hear everything's going okay. And if we could just briefly... Um, help you not focus on that for a minute then then uh now that's a that's a that's a that's a worthwhile job i'll take it that review was a journey Whew. a journey on the uh but thank you very much for I'm glad we can help you a couple things i got a review for you in just a second one on the topic of that uh dave rose former byu coach suffered a stroke yes, recently he's geez. apparently stable and doing better you really, I mean, you want to talk about one of the beloved guys. Uh, he is he is one of them. He beat pancreatic cancer, which has a very high mortality rate. Continue to, to, to coach BYU and do wonderful things there. Uh, all our best to Dave Rose and his family, and hopefully he's doing well. But that actually, that news came down uh, over the weekend as well. Um, all right, two quickies for you. First of all, there's a guy named Scott Waterman who is a coach. Uh, he's the head coach at the Academy of Art, and he actually sent me a direct message. Um, he said, Happy New Year's, and thanks for the phenomenal work you do on the podcast. Uh, love your work. I was listening to the pod yesterday, uh, and one of the memories outside of Coach K and Tony Hinkle is the Flying Dutchman reference. Ironically, and this is going to be in my, my tease for the podcast, one of the four photos. He goes, ironically, right by my house, I'm reminded of that every single day. Thanks for all you do. Uh, D2 season will be starting later this month. And there is a Flying Dutchman gymnastics sign. So the oh, idea that we got into the Flying Dutchman on the podcast, and that used to be Hofstra's name, and then I didn't know what it was, and then you went to Urban Dictionary. We don't need to keep going. You know, I understand. Yeah, there's don't, 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 don't send your daughter to no Flying Dutchman gymnastics. 13-year-olds listen to the podcast. That was, uh, but I told him I'd give him a shout, and there we go. All right, real quick one here. It's a grammar one. I know you saw this, GP. I think I, well, you've read them all, so I know that, uh, I know you saw sure. it. All right. Grammar Grievance, Chester, South Carolina. Paris and Norlander. I've been listening to this pod since Jeff Borzello was on it. Goodman was complaining during it, and Sam Vecini never got to talk while it was recorded. Chester, South Carolina, shouts to you. Yes, way back in the day, Goodman and Parrish used to be on Midday Wednesdays. Parrish probably doesn't even remember that. But anyway, he goes, I'll ride with this sucker until it transcends. I did want to write in with a particular pet peeve of mine that I noticed, which is when stores put out, quote, open every day, end quote, out front. It should be open every space day. As every day, one word can only be used when describing something like my everyday pair of shoes I wear to work. Why don't people know this? Thanks for reading. Give my gophers more love. I have to admit, GP would not remember this, but a couple of years ago, GP does this. This is, listen, we all have our slip ups. GP does this. Every day as one word is an adjective. So I'm wearing my everyday shoes. 
I'm an everyday kind of person. But if you say, I'm going to go, I like to go shopping every day. Every day is two different words. It's not one word. GP, unfortunately. What do you mean I do that? You do. I, how do I have- I do it in the written word. You see it in Correct. columns. There, yes, and and tweets. I'm afraid so. Yes. Ooh. This is listen. We all have our blind spots. I can't spell occasionally on the first time, fifty percent of the time. You know, I will I will have my goof ups as well. But this is the when we were talking. If I'm being completely honest here, when we were talking grammar stuff a couple weeks ago, I almost brought this up on the podcast. No, this reviewer is not me. But it's crazy that this person brought this up. Okay, okay. I'm, go- I'm I'm Twitter searching myself right now. Twitter search yourself right now for one word every day. You're, it's going to come up, my man. Purdue fans tell me every day that I have Purdue ranked too low. Mm. What do you say? Wake there? me up when she has to rank. <laughs> they retweeted a CNN headline from 2017. It says this 70-year-old woman ran seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And I re- I quote tweeted it with, wake me up when she has to rank 26 college basketball teams every day for four months. Every day. Yep. Oh, no, Norlander. Uh-huh. I've been I've been quietly holding this. We actually have talked about this once before. I, I sent you a note on it like some years ago, but I didn't do anything. But now you know. See, this is what the grammar grievance section can provide you. This is, by the way, a very, very common thing with people, and they don't know the difference. But we're slowly but surely we're trying to make we're trying to make a difference here. So I can say I like to play golf every day, but if I'm going to say that and then type it out, I've got to make that two words. Correct. But if you say oh, I'm, if you say uh, I've got everyday skills when it comes to hitting out of the sand trap, when the, in that instance, everyday would be one word because you're using it as an adjective. Well, I would never say that <laughs> I, I, ever under any circumstances. I got trapped in a sand trap today. Yeah, not not good. But you know what? It's snowing as we record this. You got to go play golf. I did go play golf. I'm it was nice out. I shot terribly, but I it was fun walking around for 18 holes and hitting a good shot every once in a while. My God, my entire... I've done this my whole life, it Correct. looks like. Yes. I know. I know. I, I, I just didn't know quite how to tell it to you again, but this has been a thing. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is I'm, I feel like a dum-dum. It's all right. Nothing to feel bad about. Everyone's... I, is that also the same review where the person uh, accurately pointed out that I used to randomly slip in the Devin Downey mentions as opposed to just shout them out at the end? No, that doesn't mention this. But I did. I do pine for those days. Those were good. There was a good, like, fertile three, four-month period where it was just we would just slip it in. You wouldn't even know it was coming. And and then Devin Downey would – I'm aware of what I just said, by the way. But anyway um, – <laughs> Devin Downey would just pop into the podcast. You wouldn't know it was there and gone. Those were those were fun days as well. Yes. Yeah, I would. I would be telling a story, and I could I could just fit it, and I would, and then I'd be. You might you probably remember Kentucky started nineteen and zero. Then they had to go to South Carolina, January twenty six, two thousand ten. Devin Downey got thirty points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals, sixty eight, sixty two upset of the Wildcats. John Calipari's first loss as Kentucky's coach. Remember when it was a big deal when John Calipari lost as Kentucky's coach. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now it's I don't know. He's got Dante Allen now. It's over with. Watch out, SEC. It's Dante Allen time. I think you had you a should, Phillip, uh, you had a you had a Phillips head screwdriver in your toolbox the whole time. The whole time. Thing. Watch this guy reaching for every tool in his box. He clearly needs a Phillips head screwdriver. Five straight weeks, he's just reaching for anything except a Phillips head screwdriver. What what is it? What is that even about? I think it's time for Devin Downey. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you, guys, 
once again, if you're still here, I can't imagine anybody's still here, but if you're still here, if you're still here, thank you for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest, most idiotic pandemic of my entire life. I swear to you, Norlander, I never seen one like this. I never seen one like this. And they kept telling me it was going to be over after the election. So I circled that date on my calendar and here we are. <laughs> Nothing's over. But but the, but we got multiple vaccines and they're currently being distributed inefficiently, but still we'll get them at some point and then hopefully everything will be back to normal. If you haven't subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts. And if you go to Apple Podcasts, please, it takes seconds, seconds. Leave a uh, five-star uh, rating, uh, a nice review. I'll read them all. I'll smile while I'm doing it, and maybe we'll talk about it on next Sunday's podcast. Either way, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.